Well, it's good to be with you tonight, and let me simply begin by saying the music was incredible, and uh, thank you so much. That was, uh, Brian's got a lot of energy in leading there, and uh, the choir and singers just did such a great job, and so the pastor's wife, she did good. I told her I'd be judging her while she was singing tonight, but she didn't seem to be intimidated. She quickly reminded me, you're up next, and I'll be judging too, so now I'm on the hot seat. I appreciate your uh, pastor, Pastor Davin, and his wife and family, and I appreciate so much the privilege to be here with you. I love the Psalms. I um, Believe it or not, it's a long time, but I camped out in them for about the last 10 years. I actually, every morning, read a Psalm, the next day go right on through and every 150 days read through and I just stopped and went a different direction been doing it for 10 years I say good night why 10 years it deals with God's dealings with his people it deals with how to deal with adversity I think it even prepares you for a pandemic I think it tells you a lot about life it's really stories of, of God working in the life of the Children of Israel, oftentimes it reminds us of a story we've read, but it tells us how it turned out and how God showed compassion or even brought justice in particular situations. They're not in a chronological order. For instance, Psalm 51 actually belongs before Psalm 32. Uh, So it's amazing. Periodically when you're reading, it'll introduce it this way. It'll say, to the chief musician. And the question is, what do you mean to the chief musician? Well, we know that all the Psalms served as Israel's hymn book. But periodically, one of the Psalms would be written. So you would have the lyrics and then the music. And you would pass it to the worship leader and they would sing it in temple worship. For instance, Psalm 51, David's repentance and confession is one they gave to the worship leader and My sanctified imagination asked this question. I wonder if David was in the worship service today, they sang about his sin and his confession. So they would sing. Psalm 3, for instance, is a morning psalm, a morning devotion. You may say, well, how does that speak to us? Well, listen to this. We don't know what all was going in the psalmist's life, but in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 says this. They say of me... There is no help of the Lord. But it it pays to know the word of God. It's in the Psalms, Psalms 119, verse 11, where the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against God. It's good to have the word when the world comes against you. So we know how to respond. So after they said, they say of you, there is no help of you in the Lord. The very next verse he says, but you are my glory and my shield. You are the lifter of my head. And that really just refers to the fact that every now and then we make choices that bring shame in our life. But how many of you know that Jesus can help you get past your past? And he can lift the head. And then it says this, and he laid down and slept. The very next verse says, he woke up and he said, though 10,000 surround me, I will not be afraid. A morning devotion. I don't know what God did in his life between laying down and getting up, but I'll tell you this, 
More than one time, I've gone to bed with a troubled heart and woke up overwhelmed by the peace of God. I believe that's the effectiveness of the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 103. Psalms 103. You're going to recognize this psalm. It's one of those that's quoted a lot. Uh, The phrases are used a lot. It's referred to as an envelope psalm. Envelope in that it begins and ends with the same phrase. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's referred to as a hallelujah. Uh, They're praising the Lord. And so in Psalms 103, you'll know these first two verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Listen to these words. And forget not his benefits. You may say, what benefits? Say, for instance, somebody says, you know, you make a lot of the Christian life. You're always pressing about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What's the big deal? What's the benefit of knowing the Lord? One scholar said that when he got to that statement, bless the Lord and forget not his benefits, that he laid his sacred pen down, raised his hand toward God, and he counted off five major benefits of knowing the Lord. Uh, Verse 1 and 2 really is just a reminder that there ought to be adoration for the Lord. The word bless is the same word for praise. So as we sang praise music tonight, It's really blessing. We're blessing the Lord. We really have the privilege to minister to the Lord. He not only ministers to us, but we can minister to him. And so the blessings are there because the benefits of what God did. Now let me tell you something else about this psalm. It is referred to as a self-transcendent prayer. You say self-transcendent, what do you mean? It means it's as though he's risen above himself And he's having a talk with himself. Now, there's nobody here but us and God. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever talked to yourself? If you haven't, God bless you. I have a lot of talks. I get up in the morning and after my devotions, practically every morning of my life, I go for a long speed walk. Ran for years. My knees saved. I'm going to take care of them, Lord willing. But the bottom line is when I'm out walking, I talk through And think through what I've read. And I memorize scripture every week. I just love memorizing the word of God. It it takes a different rhythm when you memorize it. And and you kind of own it. And it really ministers deeper in your soul. And and I'll be out some mornings and I'll be honest. I'll think like, Lord, I don't know what I was thinking last night. Matter of fact, what were you thinking, Johnny? Why did you say what you said? And I'm just talking. So he's talking to himself. But why is he talking to himself? And here's where it gets interesting. His soul has grown sluggish in worship. I I don't know about you, but I'd just like to confess, I didn't order COVID-19. Number one, I didn't see it coming. Number two, when it got here, I never dreamed it last this long. Number three, I never knew it would have such a profound effect on the church. And I've got a lot of thoughts about that. 70% of the preachers that were interviewed in the United States, along with 70% of the professors at Dallas Theological Seminary, said they thought it was part of the the birth pains of the return of Jesus Christ. Well, it seems like if it had anything to do, and we really believe that, 
I think we'd act differently in this particular time. And I believe the church, just my opinion, would be more triumphant. But then again, it could be, just a reminder, before Jesus returns, there's going to be a great falling away. And um, there is a falling away. I, I travel, I crisscross since June, crisscrossed the nation preaching. It's the 12th time I've preached in the last eight, seven days. I mean, so I, I'm preaching a lot to a lot of different people, a lot of places, and it's amazing. Uh, so definitely energized worship tonight. But by and large, across the country, there is a sluggishness in our worship. And, and I want to be quick to be very compassionate to say, we didn't order this. We, we didn't know the profound fact. The number one issue in the United States right now is people are struggling with how to deal with their mortality. There's more people thinking about the fact that they're going to die than ever thought about they're going to die. But isn't that some subject, to think that you're going to die? As though evidently maybe you didn't think you were. The number one offensive theology to be preached in America right now is a, a final accounting before God. People want to think about their mortality, but nobody wants to tell them that we have to give an account of the way we live before that mortality becomes immortality because everybody is going to live forever somewhere. And so there's immortality. And so he's sluggish and worse. So, so picture this now. It may change your um, perception of this verse. He's talking to himself. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Uh, all that's within me. I, I, should be, I should be blessing God with every fiber of my being. That's what he's really saying. And then he goes to that father and says it again to himself. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And it's like saying, Johnny, don't forget his benefits. And so what I want to do is take our brief time together and I want to take that hand and just mention those five things that he saw as benefits. The first I call foundational. I call it foundational because it refers to forgiveness and forgiveness is the foundation for our fellowship. So listen to this divine order. I don't want to forget his benefits and he begins here who forgives all your iniquity. The word forgives in the scripture is only used of God's forgiveness of sinners. You may say, is that significant? Boy, it really is. Did you know that you can't get saved <laughs> until you get lost? Did you, you know you can't get forgiven until you realize you've sinned. Uh, the Bible says that the Word of God brings the knowledge of sin in, in my own personal life. And so it's always referring to forgiveness. I had the privilege of uh, pastoring Governor Sonny Perdue for eight years to Governor Georgia. And believe it or not, he was not only very active, he taught Sunday school to couples for eight years at our church. His son Jim is a graduate of Southeastern Seminary and pastor of Second Baptist Church in Warner Robins. His other son mentored under us at Woodstock and is now serving faithfully in his church but running one of his father's businesses. Something really happened I'd never been a part of. I had a lady in our church that was a former felon. Some of you maybe have heard her name. Her name was Iris Blue. Iris has given her testimony and witness all over the world. Her and her husband, Dwayne. But it was in the early days of her life 
and you adults will have to help some of the younger ones understand this, but she used to own a go-go club. And when you think, yeah, we ought to have some giggles there. And, and I'll never forget her testimony. She would always say, Pastor Johnny, and she was about 6'5". She was a big lady, and she, she said, I, <clears throat> I remember kneeling, a preacher sharing the gospel, and I knelt outside the go-go club, and she said, I, every time I tell the story, I can still feel the vibration on my knees. And she said this, I knelt a tramp, and I stood a lady. And, and you just need to know, I've known her for over 30 years. God radically changed her life. So Iris came to me one day and she said, Governor Perdue's getting ready to leave his office. And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, would you do me a favor? Would you ask him if he would give me a pardon? I've never been involved in anything. I thought, this, this sounds cool. So I asked the governor, I said, can you get her a pardon? So filled out all the paperwork. We had one problem. You got to do it before his term ends. And she asked very late. Long story short, we were not able to pull it off. But I learned something. He, the very first rule of receiving a pardon from a governor or from the president of the United States is you must acknowledge your guilt. That's the same thing in the Word of God. Nobody can, can become a candidate for God's forgiveness of their sin until they acknowledge their guilt. Every, I witness a good bit, and every now and then I'll... I love to use the Bible when I witness. I, what I say is I share the gospel and I wrap my story around it. Because my story is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God. See, the gospel, 1 Thessalonians 1.5, the gospel, this is good, never travels alone. It always travels with the power of God and with the, with the spirit of God. And so I like to share scripture when I'm witnessing. So I'll say, the Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Sir, do you realize you're a sinner? Well, I'm not that bad. <laughs> when I got to Woodstock, um, some of the ladies thought I was too strong in the pulpit. So they had a gathering and wanted to meet me after service one day. They said, the way you preach... We feel like you think we're bad. <laughs> and so the question was posed, and I'm right there by myself, do you think we're bad? And I simply said this. I didn't plan to say anything, but I said this. Ladies, all I can tell you is this. I've read the Bible from cover to cover, and the only way God could keep any of you ladies out of hell is to kill his son. And they didn't bother me anymore after that but the truth is I'm telling you sometimes we begin to say I don't think I'm that bad we're not talking about horseshoes we're talking about where you're going to spend eternity we're talking about lost or saved heaven or hell and the Bible says he forgives our sin three words are used in the Bible to describe where we've gone wrong listen carefully and they're all used in the Psalms sin transgression and iniquity sin means I've missed the mark a transgression means I've overstepped the law. Iniquity is an interesting word. It speaks of the perversity of my soul. Here's what it really means. I am twisted and bent. I'm telling you, when you came out of your mother's womb, you were bent in a different direction, slanted away from Almighty God, diametrically opposed. We do a parental child dedication at Woodstock. And so when they come in, we do a training with the parents before we allow them to present their children 
in a parental child dedication. And we want them to understand that this is not salvation. It's not baptism of children. It is just mom and dad dedicating the children to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So it's a parent-child dedication. And what we remind them of is in Psalm chapter 51 verse 4 that our children are sinners. I mean, just do the math. If Norman Hunt is a sinner, married and had a baby with Bessie Hunt, and they produced Johnny Hunt, two sinners can't produce anything but a sinner. Well, there was this one man named Carl, I'll never forget. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to sign that document because I want to participate in this parental child. But I want to tell you something. My baby is not a sinner. Somebody said, are you going to challenge him? I said, no. I said, why? I said, wait and see. He came back in about four months, and he said, Pastor Hunt, I really took you to task on that thing about my little baby boy being a sinner. And I said, Sir, I've got another question. Do y'all perform exorcisms? <laughs> you don't make those kind of stories up. Yeah, just give them a little time. You'll find out how self-centered and selfish. And Well, anyway, just moving on. So he, he forgives. But let, let me give you another statement of forgives. Because remember, the psalmist is sluggish in his worship. And he's thinking about the benefits of God. And he's thinking, I was twisted and perverted in the way I was thinking. This was ingrained perversity. And yet, God forgave me my sins. And listen to this. Forgiveness in both the Old Testament and the New Testament has the idea of to take away, to take away and put somewhere else. So if you wanted to study the Hebrew of forgiveness, you won't find a better definition than forgiveness is to take away and to put somewhere else. Now let me read a verse, verse 10 of that same passage. God has not dealt with us according to our sin. Question, if God's not dealt with us, who's God dealt with? God dealt with Jesus. And it was the punishment I deserved. God gave Jesus. On the, that's what the cross is all about. Thank God for Good Friday. And then a step further. Nor has God punished us according to our iniquity. If God hadn't punished us, who did God punish? That's just it. God took my sin. He didn't punish me according to my sins. And he punished Jesus for my sin. Um. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says in, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And, and I, I love the Bible. Somebody may say, uh, we went through a time 15 years ago or so, and preachers started saying, you know, I need to <clears throat> quit using church words. Well, propitiation is not a church word, bless your heart. It's God's word. And I, I don't like changing the script to fit the audience. See, I, I'm an awful golfer. Chris that travels with me, his dad's a golf pro, and he's a scratch golfer, and I'm a hacking golfer. I mean, I'm just, I'm no good. I get my money's worth. I get to hit the ball 30 or 40 times more than he does. <laughs> Did you know when I go play golf or any other game, they never change the language to accommodate the beginners. They teach the beginners. So when I'm out there and they say, I play my first hole and they're keeping score and they say, hey, Pastor John, what'd you make? And I said, uh, I was an eight. And they say, that's a, um, what, what is it, four bogey? I mean, I, I don't know, I'm not any good. 
All I know, but you learned the language. Let me just tell you this. They never used birdie with me, all right? <laughs> but, but they used the language. What under heaven do we mean coming to church and laying aside? Let me give you the richness of the word propitiation. Where does that word come from? In the Old Testament, if you took the Hebrew word and they transliterate words to the Greek text, what word is it? It's the word for atonement. Propitiation means he paid a debt. And you know how we say it? Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. This guy's sluggish in worship. You know what? He's starting to get a spring in his step now. The word also means, if you, it's the exact same word for mercy seat. So we sing songs about mercy seat. If we teach propitiation, people ought to get excited. They ought to know when to say amen because he's our mercy seat. But let me give you another translation. He's our wrath absorber. Just for information's sake, please always know this. When Jesus died on the cross... He did not abort my sin. He absorbed my sin. No wonder we can sing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. When it thinks of what he did. So he's been forgiven. I uh, told pastor I wanted to get over and see uh, a dear friend, Junior Hill. And so I went and spent a couple hours with him this afternoon. And he and Carol were gracious to fix uh, lunch for Chris and I. And we just spent a couple hours uh, reminiscing. He's been a great friend. I don't know why he adopted me as his son years ago. And I wrote a book and put a chapter on in the book titled My Son Johnny. Uh, he said such flattering things that I'd be embarrassed to tell you. I don't know why he's loved and cared for me, but he's a hero. Uh, in my life and I told him I said Junior uh, what I love to do is quote people that were godly writers I like to quote them especially after they died I've been quoting Warren Weirdsby a lot lately because Weirdsby's been gone less than a year but just a couple years ago we lost another close friend named John Phillips John Phillips was mentored by Stephen Olford Stephen Olford taught me expository preaching when I was 23 years old John Phillips said about this verse, when the Bible says we've been forgiven of our iniquity, he said, just always remember, though, even though you've been forgiven and God set you free from the grip, the devil does everything he can to keep you influenced by the guilt of your sin. Even though God has totally forgiven you, he wants to keep your mind. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 that God takes the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, and cleanses our conscience. And I'm grateful to God. How could a preacher with a bad past stand and preach bold truth of God's forgiveness if his conscience constantly condemned him? But the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. But he said every now and then the devil will go. He's the accuser of the brethren. So he actually, in the Bible, has had an audience with God the Father to accuse us. Now listen to what Johnny Hunt wrote. I believe the only time the devil ever told the truth is when he brought an accusation before the father about me you may say well, why would you say that because I've given him plenty of stuff to deal with him about don't look at me like that you got a pass to but the bottom line is he went there and John Phillips said well if he's the accuser of the brethren 
And he goes and he makes these accusations that are true about us when we haven't lived right, thought right, responded right. He said, what do you think the father does? And he says, every time he brings an accusation, all he does is raises his hands. And when he sees the nail-scarred hands, it's settled. Our sins have been forgiven. Quickly, secondly, these others are shorter. Restoration. Who heals all your diseases. Um, much of our physical and emotional illness is psychogenic due to moral failure. Words, the only relief is God's forgiveness which results in healing. If you will look at Luke 6, 17, 18, and 19. Jesus' headquarters was in Capernaum. The Bible says he went all around that region. And here's what it says. And those who heard him, he healed them of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented in unclean spirits. They were all healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them. If you were to study this passage and you would try to uh, get scholarship to help you and say, name some of the diseases. It would be stuff like guilt and fear and doubt and depression and anger and lust and hate and jealousy and greed. And God wants to heal us and set us free of those. I do a men's conference at Woodstock every year. I do year 29 and it's absolutely remarkable the thousands upon thousands of men that come to that men's conference. I did one called Prison Break. And I have a creative team that designs the stage to match the theme. So picture this. 20 feet tall, chain link fence with barbed wire across the top. They actually somewhere found a large white spotlights like that roamed the prison yard and had those up while I was preaching. And at the close, they had put a, a gate in the front of it. And I went in behind the prison walls and talked about how when a person is saved and God sets them free, that they come out of the prison walls. We sing songs and get excited about, I hear chains falling. But let me tell you what a lot of people do. Even though God has set them free from the grip of sin, watch me. They still come out dragging their ball and chain. There's some stuff they just hadn't let down. They hadn't let God really speak into it. Let me give you an illustration that all of you know the passage. Take the prodigal son. The prodigal son got away from his father. When he's down in the pig pen, he realizes that he's got it better if he was a servant of his father. So he makes this statement. That's what we do. We rationalize. See, when you're not right with God, let me tell you what will happen. You don't view God right, and you don't view yourself right. They don't miss it. It's the simplest explanation in the Bible. So what does the, the, the prodigal son do? I'm going to rise and go to the father. And I'm going to say to the father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Hold on just a moment. Stop. That isn't your call. The father decides who his children are, not the children. That was a good statement. You had a good chance to slip an amen in there and let it fly right off. And then he said, I'm going to say, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your servants. While he was saying those words, while he was saying, the father spoke over him and said this. Kill the fatted calf. Somebody bring me a robe. Where's this boy's ring? And a ring speaks of sonship. God doesn't treat his youngins like his servants. 
We're friends of God. We're family of God. And we're the children of God. God has come to set us free. I've got too much I want to say about that. I'm going to leave it alone. Third word is redemption. This is, this is my favorite. The Bible says, and remember he's sluggish in his soul. He's self-transcending prayer. He's talking to himself. He's hoping that he will become aroused in his worship. Is this a true statement? You ever been to church when you really didn't feel like going? You probably didn't decide to go until the last minute. But the Holy Ghost of God met you right at the point of your need so much that on the way out you said to the preacher, I want to be honest with you, Pastor. I didn't really feel like coming today. I've had a really hard week, a lot against me this week. But I'm grateful to God that I came. God spoke ex- exactly to where I was. And that's what's going on in the psalmist's life. He needs God to meet him right at the point of his need. So the third word is redemption. It says, who redeems your life from destruction. Now, don't miss this. It's one of the greatest principles in the Bible. It means to be rescued. God's rescued us. It refers to the fact that he's rescued us from the consequences of our sin. He, here's a good way. He's redeemed your life from going to the waste. God, only God knows how many times parents come to me and say, Brother Johnny, pray for my 19-year-old son. He's got out there with the wrong crowd. He's, he's doing the wrong things. And I'm just, I'm just afraid he's going to what? Waste his life. You can't really answer this exactly, but you can guess. Where do you think you'd be tonight if God had not redeemed you? I'll just, I'll just, I'll start, I'll start. I'd be in jail or hell. I was arrested for stealing. I was arrested for drunkenness. I was arrested for fighting. And some of you are thinking, fighting, you're not that big. No, but I'm wound tight, brother. And uh, (laughs) bottom line is, but he brought my life out of destruction. I've been bought and brought. Jesus redeems your soul from hell, but he also redeems your life from destruction. See, I I can talk about my life since I was 20 when I got saved. But what I don't know is where would I be had Jesus not changed my life then? So he saved me from my sins, but he also saved me from myself. My dad checked out when I was seven. I was raised by a single mom. I have five siblings. I'm next to the youngest. All six of us kids are still living. I quit school when I turned 16. I started hanging out at a pool hall, and finally the man said, you're here all the time. Why don't you just go to work for me? So I went to work at Sunset Park Pool Room. There were many days I played pool six, seven hours a day. Guess what? I became good. I did. I started hustling pool. Hustled pool for a couple of years. I was a a champion in that region in straight pool, shooting straight pool. Any of you guys that played? I played 31 straight balls in straight pool. I was playing second stringers of the best in this nation. And that's all I did. When I was 20 years old, that was my passion as I. I could do this for a living. I loved the game, and I was getting good enough to make a living at it. And then somebody invited me to church. And just for the record's sake, 85% of the people that will ever get saved get a simple invitation to church. 85%. Think about how you came to Christ. N.W. and a carpenter, stayed behind me, kept inviting me to church. And so I went. 
And after a few weeks, God broke through with the gospel and God saved me. Now, let me tell you why I'm telling this story. God redeemed my life from going to waste. Now, I can tell stories. I'm not even comfortable telling. It's in a little book. You can go to the, on the internet, johnnyhunt.com. It's called From the Pool Room to the Pulpit and just tells stuff I'm ashamed of. I've never want my grandchildren. I'm sure they've read it, but I don't even want them to know what was going on in my life. I have friends that didn't come out. All right, they're still there. I know you think I'm, this is strange, but they've called me in the last couple of weeks numerous times from the pool room I used to play in. They've done that. They haven't done that in 30 years. Why are they calling now? Here, here's what the conversation was the other night. Larry Falk's getting ready to win the tournament here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Guess what the conversation is in the pool room? I said, I don't have a clue. I've been out 40 years. And they said, they said, the only reason he's winning is because you got religion. I didn't get religion. I got a relationship with Almighty God. But at bottom line, so, so they, they keep me up to breast, believe it or not. So one of my cousins stayed in 40 years after I'm out. 40 years after I'm out. So I'm preaching in Scotts Hill, North Carolina. I'll be in Hampstead, right there outside of Wilmington, just a couple of weeks. And so I called my cousin, James Ray. Been in the pool room 40 years behind me. Mean as a junkyard dog. Big guy. And I said, James Ray, you promised me for years you're going to come here and preach. Would you come and hear me preach tonight? He said, I'll be there. So I got on the phone like I did yesterday, and I texted a bunch of people and said, my cousins, come and pray God save him, pray God save him, pray God save him. So I'm preaching at Scott's Hill. James Ray, sure enough, comes by himself. I preached the gospel. You know how we preachers do. I said, every head bowed, every eye closed. And I made this statement. I said, if you be willing tonight to turn from your sins, place your faith in Jesus. This prayer is the attitude of your heart. You pray it with me. God will save you. And that night we prayed. And then I just said, I don't have the eyes of Jesus. Can't look in the heart and know what you've done, but i sure like to rejoice with you. If you prayed to receive Jesus, would you let me know? And James Ray's hand went up. And I was thinking, praise the Lord, a few other people. In a few moments I did this. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I said, uh, I'm grateful to God those who have responded, but I'm going to ask one last time. If you trusted Jesus tonight and whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed Romans 10 12 I said would you just acknowledge that so look what my cousin did he raised his hand again and did this <laughs> James Ray wanted to know that Johnny saw that he got saved I said I was kind of you know just silent. I got James Ray a Bible he joined Northside Baptist Church Kenny Chin's his pastor he got baptized Marilyn got saved she got baptized and I began to try to disciple him long distance from Woodstock, Georgia to Wilmington, North Carolina. How many of you know that sin will do a number on you? James Ray called me about a year after he was walking with the Lord and said this. Hey, I just got diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver. It's all the drugs and alcohol. What I'm telling you is you, he'll, are y'all listening? He'll save your life from going to waste. And so James Ray had, the damage had been done. And so he called me one day. I've never in 43 years of pastoring had anybody ask me to do this. He said, uh, hey, because you're coming down anytime soon. I said, James, I'm not scheduled, but I can. He said, doctor said it's going to be soon. I'd like to get all my family here. And I've got questions I want you to answer. Like, does the Bible tell me what's going to happen when I take my last breath? And just for the record's sake, it does. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and following. So I went in and I shared that with him. We had some fun. I remember taking my phone out and saying, James Ray, on the authority of the word of God, when you draw your last breath, before Maryland can call the morticians, 
you'll already be in the, in the presence of Jesus. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Word of God. And, and so I just kind of rejoiced. We were sure enough, a couple of weeks he died. Let me tell you what I didn't expect when he asked me to do the funeral. Never had anything like this to happen. When I went to do his funeral, it was like a pool room reunion. All of my friends were there. Now, I didn't recognize them. I haven't seen them in 40 years. Come on, give me a break. Now, you can lie. People come up to you and say, hey, remember me? And you say, yeah. And I, I, here's what I say. Here's what I say. Help me. <laughs> and here's what he says. Hey, Ronnie, Ronnie. And I'm thinking, Ronnie, Ronnie. Ronnie Smith, Ronnie Smith. And then I, you know, you survey and you, yeah, Ronnie, <laughs> Ronnie, good night. I'm sorry, buddy, I didn't recognize you. You embrace. And they line up there. Hey, I'm Randy. Hey, I'm, you called me Aberdeen. My name's Richard Bennett. These are the real people that were there. And I mean, they just lined up. I'm talking dozens of them. And so I, I shared the gospel that day. And then I did something I've never done in my life. I said, I'm getting ready to uh, follow the hearse. And we're going to Greenlawn Cemetery. And I'm going to bury my cousin in the same place where my mama is buried. But th the preacher just told me there's a new seafood cafe next door here. Any of you that will come back, I haven't seen you in so long, I'll buy you dinner. How many would take me up on it? Y'all ready? 40? 40. 40 came. Now, other than me struggling, would be in a tight wad, not wanting to buy that many dinners. They came. But let me tell you what the problem is. I'm trying, I hope God will ignite something in your heart for your lost friends. The only issue that we had that night is all of them wanted to sit with me. See, I've had a thought as a soul winner. I've had this thought for a long time. When I got saved out of the pool hall, and I, oh gosh, my mind is going everywhere. I've got to land this plane. Um, I'd been arrested. The chief of police knew me personally. His name was Richard Herring. I'll tell you how personally he knew me. He got sick, and he called for me. And I called the Holy Ghost as my witness, Richard Herring. I led him to Jesus at New Hanover Hospital. The man that used to arrest me, I had to, this is good. I know what I'm going to say, and I'm so excited. I implored the sheriff of heaven to come and arrest his soul. And God arrested him and won. Here's what I believe happens. When a, when a, when a hellion or a hoodlum or somebody that just, people know you're not a Christ follower, gets saved. And somebody asks you what happened to you, and you say this, I got saved. They don't respond. Stay with me. That is verbally. But they do respond. Here's what they say. We'll see. Because even the pagan knows that if Christ comes in, life should be changed. They anticipate a change. And the lost world says, if there's no change, there's no Christ. Somebody says, why do you think all 40 of them wanted to sit with you that night? I've been saved 40 years. You know what I think they were saying? I believe he's serious about this. <laughs> this thing's stuck. A guy called me from the pool room the night and said, my brother, Steve, told me you called him before he died to make sure he was saved. When I found out, when I found out his friends are dying, my mind's lighting up right now. A lot of them on their deathbeds had their family to call. One called 
on his deathbed. He couldn't even speak. His name's Danny Todd, but we were buddies back in those days. He wouldn't listen to me, but now he knows he's getting ready to check out. And they said, Johnny, go ahead and talk. Danny's listening. He wants to hear from you, but he, he's too weak to respond. I don't know what he did with it, but I was saying, God knows your heart, Danny. Tell him now. Tell him to have mercy on him. Tell him you're sorry for your sins. These are my friends. Pool room friends. He redeemed me. And when he got in the car that day after I saw all my friends, I looked over, you appreciate this. And I said to my wife, man, do I look as rough as those guys do? <laughs> I also said this, do I look as old? I mean, sin, are y'all listening? Sin had done a number on their life. But, and remember, I don't know if the psalmist got fired up where he'd been sluggish in worship but I'm telling you I'm feeling better and that is to stand up here and say my sins have been forgiven he's healed me of my diseases and he's redeemed my life from going to waste and this other one I'll just do quick and then close it with the last one the, the fourth fourth word is compassion he says this who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies that means God lavishes positive blessings on you he, he crowns you. That is, he makes you a child of his king, of the king. Romans 6 says this. <clears throat> now that you've been identified with Jesus Christ, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. It means I can reign in life. If I were to tell you my favorite teaching in the word of God, it is the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is Jesus, to me, his finest hour of preaching. And in that, I believe Jesus is teaching that we can reign in life. There's coming a day, I believe, when Jesus Christ comes back, I'm of the opinion there'll be a millennial reign, and we will reign and rule with Christ. But I want you to know even before then, we can reign in life. Live above, above the, 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 the phrase of this life to make a difference for him. Well, one last statement, and I'm through. Number five. It's the word satisfaction. Hey, this must may be uh, the, a verse that probably has the greatest need of translation of any verse I've ever read. So, so let me read it for you. The Bible says, and I'm through, He's, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And you think, what under heaven? Now, let me tell you something else I know. First of all, David wrote this psalm. Let me tell you what else I know about David. David is aging. Let me tell you what else to know about aging people. The older you get, the more you reflect. And let me, let me give a word for my senior friends now that I've actually confessed that I'm in your department. I never wanted to enter the senior adult department. It reminded me of Hotel California. You could check in, but you can't check out. I mean, you just, <laughs> it's just it. You've got a lot of seniors here. They don't leave now. Why did Pastor Johnny preach on Hotel California? You know. Ninety-year-olds were asked, if you could live life again, what would you do differently? Number one, they said, I'd reflect more. Let me define reflection. Looking out the window, no agenda, but posing these questions. What has my life amounted to so far? Any accomplishments that will go with me into the next life? What do I want my life to do? I, I, here's a statement I wrote. I want to do now what I'll be glad I did then. Martin Luther said there's really only two days, this day and that day. Number two, they said, if I could live life over, I would invest more in that which would outlast me. 
Number three, I would take greater risk. Some of you play it so safe, you'll never amount to much for the kingdom. Take a risk. Trust God. Do something. Let him do something with you and through you. So here's what it translates. Now, you're going to have to watch this. Who satisfies your mouth. I don't know why the translator used this word. The word mouth translates old age or duration of years. So let me translate it now. Who satisfies your old age or your duration of years with good things so that even though you're growing older now, you're reflecting on it, your youth is renewed. Wait a minute, you mean God can renew my youthfulness? You know, you guys will get a kick out of this. We all say this. Uh, Joshua, when he was 85 years old, said, I'm as strong as I was when I started. He was 40 when he started. He was saying 45 years. But here's what I say. I feel like I can do anything I've ever done. It just takes me three times as long to recover. But I can. I mean, I've, I've, I've never preached so much in all of my life. I mean, God's kept me healthy and strong. And he's like renewed my life. So here's the translation. When eagles are young, they build their nest on the highest mountain peaks. We had a bad storm two weeks ago, and even one since then in Atlanta. You see the trees in my yard that are down. Did you know when there are storms like that, did you know eagles fly into those storms, fix their wings, and allow the wind to carry them above the storm? But when they're old, let me tell you what this is talking about. Now, it's talking about eagles. There's a subject matter in this text. It's eagles. It's molting. So just write the word down. And if you like to Google, you could Google it. You're going to get all the information. I'm just going to give you a hint. M-O-L-T or M-O-L-T-I-N-G. What is molting? It means the eagle is, he's aged now. No longer is he soaring above the storms. Let me tell you where you'll find him, so they say, in valleys. Normally near water. What is he doing? He's molting. What is molting? losing his wings, his feathers. But something mysterious is happening. He's growing new ones. That's molting. So when God says, I will satisfy your youth, it will be renewed like the eagle. Yes, your, your feathers have gotten pretty old and you're not flying as high as you used to, but I'm going to give you some new feathers. So let's, here's your favorite verse. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. You're going to understand it better now. They that wait upon the Lord. Wait a minute, what's these words? Shall renew their. They shall mount up with wings like. They shall run and not. They shall walk and not grow weary or faint. And so that's what he's talking Now I understand it. Uh, God's going to renew my strength. What? Like an eagle. So God is not through with you until God is through with you. And by the way, when God is through with you, let me tell you how you'll know. We're going to have a special service down at the church. <laughs> and we're going to say some pleasantries about you and about your life, have some people to sing, testify. We're going to take you out and plant you in the dirt. And then we're going to come back to the fellowship hall and eat fried chicken and potato salad. But until then, God's not through with you. And if you're older, claim this promise and say, God, satisfy me in my old age. 
bring me out of this lethargy. Uh, keep me from playing it safe. I've got more. I'll speak for us seniors. I have more to invest in the kingdom of God and in the family of God and world missions than I've ever had in my whole life. How many of you would agree with me and say, I never thought God was going to be this good to me. God's been better to me than I ever dreamed he would be. Augustine said it better than any writer, and he said it in the 300s. God has been good to me. He's given me more than I need. But he's shown me others that need it. So God has blessed me not so I can have even greater living. God has blessed me so I can be a greater giver to his cause and to his kingdom. And to make a difference. Never dreamed that coming out of the project. Being a high school dropout. Raised by a single mom. But you just never know what happens when God becomes your father. And promises he'll never leave you and never forsake you. And by the way, Christianity is not a fair weather religion. People say, well, you never, you never know. I've got to be ready for that rainy day. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Jesus can really only take care of you when the sun's shining. No, he can handle the storms. That's why the writers, we're getting it right, Brian, in our music. We're missing it in our theology because we're believing the music and we're raising our hands at his greatness. But then somehow or another, fear wins today over faith oftentimes in different seasons of life. So I could say that David was going through his own personal pandemic. He needed to talk to himself and be renewed in, in what he believed about God get a vision of what God had done for him and let that soul that had grown sluggish once again be vibrant. Not just when the world's vibrant, but now. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for who you are and for all you've done. Have your will and way in our life in this invitation.